would you please join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to be able to uh, listen to your word read and to uh, consider together what it means for us today as a church. Uh, please help us as we do that. Please help us to, to hear what you have to say to us uh, as a church, as a community, uh, trying to follow you here in San Diego. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of Acts on this premise that as we look at what is happening in the book of Acts, we're getting a sense of what it is that God has called his church to be. Uh, we're not looking at this with this like, Pollyanna view. Do you ever know who Pollyanna is? It's like super archaic term. Rose-colored glasses. You should look up Pollyanna, those of you that don't know. Um, and be able to, it's like, oh, the church is great. No, we're actually going to see uh, in, in weeks to come as we work our way through the book of Acts that there's going to be a lot of turmoil and opposition that the church goes through. In fact, this passage is the entryway into a lot of opposition that the church will face. Uh, but what we're seeing is that, that Jesus is calling his church, uh, he's empowered his church, right, through the Spirit. We saw that for a couple of weeks. And he's calling them to do certain things. We saw that we, they were called to have spiritual conversations. Peter gives us a model for how it is that we talk about our faith. Last week, we saw that this community, as it's congealing, as it's forming, was so attractive that people were continually being added to it. And today, what we consider is that this community was also a group of people that were going out and addressing the, the brokenness uh, in the world around it. Uh, so we're looking specifically at the story of Peter healing this man who was uh, unable to walk. It's the man who was lame or crippled. Uh, three things that we're going to do this morning, and I don't have slides because I was busy yesterday smoking a pork butt for college students. And I forgot to make slides, so I apologize for that. Uh, we're going to see the problem, uh, and the problem is a helpless man. And we're going to see just the completeness of his helplessness uh, and, and how that connects to us. Then we're going to see the turning point in the story. The turning point in the story is a mighty word from Peter. Uh, and then finally, we're going to see the resolution of the story uh, walking into the temple. Those are our three points. All right, so the problem. So this would not have been an isolated occurrence, right? It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, people are going up to the temple. It's the time of prayer. And, and there would have been not just one, but several people more than likely around outside of the temple asking for money, asking for help, as those who are devout are going up to the temple in order to worship God. And, and so here is this man who has been, uh, we find out later, uh, in the chapter, has been unable to walk from the time that he was born. So 40 years old, never knows what it's like to stand or walk, and he is calling out uh, for money. He's like, please give me money. He's asking for alms, right? Uh, he is a picture for us of total helplessness. Uh, think of this with me. Think of the implications of this. So first of all, we know off the bat that physically he's helpless. Uh, he's not able to walk. The passage tells us that he needed people to carry him to the temple. Uh, so the temple's got this outer courtyard, and there's certain gates that bring you into the outside courtyard of the temple. You're not in the temple proper yet, and one of those gates is called the beautiful gate. 
Uh, and so this man is near the beautiful gate. I think it's on the east side of the temple complex. And then you move to the actual temple itself. And there are certain courts that certain groups of people are allowed in and other people are not allowed in. Uh, and so he's outside of the temple. He's at this gate called Beautiful. Uh, and people have to carry him there. So physically, he's helpless. Financially, he's helpless. He's asking for money. He doesn't have any way of being able to provide for himself. Uh, emotionally, this is an honor-shame culture. Uh, and so we can assume, I think safely, that there would have been a certain amount of shame connected to the reality that this man is, uh, is, is helpless. And remember back in the gospel accounts that there was this belief, not necessarily widespread, that Jesus says, no, that's not the way to think, but, but there was this belief that that uh, people's illnesses and their disabilities were connected directly to their sin or the sin of their ancestors. Um, spiritually, then, we can see that there's a sense of helplessness. Uh, there's, a, there's actually debate about uh, whether or not this man would even have been allowed in the temple. There are those that suggest that because uh, the, there, there were laws in the, in the book of Leviticus, I think, there were laws that said that any priest who had a disability could not serve. Anybody who was born in a priestly family and had a disability couldn't serve in the temple. Uh, and any animal that was to be sacrificed, if it was not able to walk, could not be used as a sacrifice. Uh, and so some, and then in the time of David, there is this passage in 2 Samuel 5 that seems to imply that people with disabilities were not allowed into the temple. Uh, now, nowhere in Scripture is that actually stated. And so there's debate between scholars about whether or not this man would even have been allowed in the temple. Certainly, however, the way Luke is telling us the story, I think it's important for us to note that at the beginning of the story, he's not in the temple. And at the end of the story, he is in the temple. Uh, and the way I read it, I think that there's a spiritual connection there that we are supposed to make. Uh, and then consider also vocationally he's helpless, right? He doesn't have a job. He's got no means of being able to find a job. So this man is presented to us as a picture of, of helplessness, of brokenness, of the effects of sin in the world. Now, the reality is that probably all of us can resonate with some part of this man's story, right? We, we all either have experienced it ourselves or we know people who have experienced uh, hopelessness and the brokenness and the effects of living in a world uh, that is uh, ravaged by sin, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But most of us, even if, if we have some personal connection, most of us can go the, you know, long periods of time without actually being confronted with, with real deep brokenness on multiple levels. Uh, we're able to go throughout our week and not be confronted with just how deep the effects of sin can actually be in people's lives or in our society. Uh, and Chad and I were actually talking about it this week, that, that one of the interesting things about worshiping in the East Village uh, is that every Sunday morning, we are walking past brokenness. Uh, every Sunday morning, as we're coming to church, we are being reminded why the world needs the gospel. 
Uh, every Sunday morning when we leave from here after having worshiped, we are being reminded that we're being sent out into a world that is broken as people who have been healed, as we're going to see uh, in a second. Uh, and so there's something really formative, I think, that we can take advantage for ourselves and even for our children to recognize that, that the, you know, the, the, the model of the world that we see on television is not the way things are. And the way things are is not the way things are supposed to be, right? God did not create a world to be broken. He created a world to be perfect and beautiful. And he is in the process of restoring that through Jesus, and Jesus is using you and me to be able to do that. And so Peter is, uh, is looking at this individual, right? Uh, and he's seeing the brokenness. It's really hard to do that, especially when you just got to town. I just got to town um, not that long ago. And, and I've been, Kate and I have talked about this. We're just trying to figure out how is it that we can really get to know San Diego. And, and it occurred to me that um, you know, for those of you that don't know, we lived in Boston before we moved here. Uh, and when, I, when we lived in Boston, I took the train and I walked all over the city. Uh, and so as a result, I got to know Boston really, really well. And so it occurred to me, you know what, I should probably start walking. And so this past week, I just started walking the neighborhood. I walked down to a lunch appointment. I, I walked a couple other occasions. Uh, and, and while I walked, I started praying. Uh, so I prayed for that vacant lot across the street. Uh, there's a church about two blocks, three blocks that way called Luminous City Church. I prayed for that church. There's a school. This, is this F here? I'm still getting the lay of the land. I prayed. For, there's a school a couple blocks down on F. I prayed for that school. I prayed for I don't know how many people just walking around the neighborhood, getting a lay of the land. I prayed for, you know, I walked past Punchbowl Social, uh, and I prayed for the volunteer event that we had, the celebration of volunteers that we had last night. Uh, and, and as I was praying, and yesterday, or the day before yesterday, as I was thinking about, um, about this, it occurred to me, you know what, I, I don't want to do this by myself. I would love for some of you, all of you, uh, to join me in walking and praying, not just this neighborhood, but all of the different neighborhoods that you, uh, you know, that you live, work, and play in, right? Uh, and so this, isn't, this is an announcement that I'm throwing out in the last minute. I'm weaving it into my sermon. Um, if you're interested in learning how to prayer walk, if you're interested in prayer walking with me, if you're interested in prayer walking in your neighborhood, uh, I would love to show you, teach you how to do that. It's not hard, um, but there are some basic principles that can be really helpful to do it well. Uh, and so email me and we'll figure out a time. I don't know when this is going to happen. It depends on how many people email me, but if you're interested, email me and we'll figure something out. And we'll spend four or five weeks, real short, uh, and I'll teach you some stuff that I think will help you in that regard. So I hope some of you will do that. So that's the problem, right? This man who's helpless, he's a picture of helplessness. That's the first point. The second point, the turning point in the story. So he calls out to Peter uh, and gets Peter's attention and asks Peter for money. Uh, and Peter says, I have no money. Now, Peter isn't simply just saying, like, I'm not going to give you money, right? Peter is going to, do, Peter understands, yes, he is, he needs money, but there's a deeper need, right? The deeper need is that he can't walk. But I think we can infer from this that there's a, an even deeper need that is illustrated to us by what happens with the story. The man's going to end up in the temple. 
Uh, and so Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I have, I can give you. What does Peter have? Uh, Peter has, through Jesus, the ability to be able to say, get up and walk. Now, I want you to, um, I want you to think of the, and here's the verse. It says in verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, uh, kids that maybe are watching at home, uh, those of you that can remember being a kid, right? So you know the scene where uh, mom and dad say, hey, go tell your brother or sister or brothers and sisters to come in. You go out. It's time to come in. The siblings don't pay attention to you. And you come back and it's like, they didn't listen to me. And you say, and what, do you, what do you say? What does your mom and dad say to you, right? What do you say if you're the parent? You tell them that I said it's time to come in right? I'm giving you authority. In the name of mom and dad, right? It's time to come in. That's in effect what's happening here, right? Peter in and of himself doesn't have the ability to say, in the name of Peter, uh, it's time to get up, or he doesn't do that, right? But he can totally say, in the name of Jesus, in the authority that Jesus has, I say to you, get up and walk. The gospel is like a diamond. Uh, diamonds have multiple sides. And every side of the gospel gives us a different way of understanding, a different vantage point into what it is that God is doing in the world. Remember how I defined the gospel weeks ago. The gospel is the good news of what God has done and is doing through Jesus. That's my definition of the gospel, okay? Uh, but, but then from there, we can go in a bunch of different directions. So one, one lens of the gospel, one side of that diamond is that the gospel is this good news that through Jesus, sins can be forgiven. We can have right standing with God. Amen. Another side of this diamond is that the gospel is this good news that through Jesus, God is healing the brokenness of the world. And one passage of scripture that I think really uh, shows us how this theme is, um, is fulfilled, how this theme is, is going to get worked out in scripture is in Revelation 21. So if, if you know the Bible, you know that the Bible begins with a garden, and in the garden are two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And then the Bible ends with a city. And in the middle of the city is one of those two trees, the tree of life. Uh, and that tree, we are told, is a tree that brings healing. It's, it, the, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so the gospel is in part this story of how God is bringing healing to the brokenness that we see and we experience in our lives and we see in our world. Uh, years ago, uh, one of the men that discipled me had me read a book by Francis Schaeffer. Uh, for those of you that don't know Francis Schaeffer, Francis Schaeffer was actually a Presbyterian pastor who became disillusioned with his faith. That set him on a quest to uh, rediscover the teaching of Christianity. Uh, and that then led him to open up a study center called Labrie. Uh, and that study center was dedicated to welcoming people who had questions, whether they were believers or not, people of faith or not people of faith, to come in and ask questions and be able to wrestle. And that 
kind of mushroomed into several study centers uh, in various places of the world. Well, the book that this, uh, the, the book that, I, that my, the, the, the man who discipled me had me read was called True Spirituality. Uh, and in the book, Schaefer talks about this idea of substantial healing, okay? So the healing that Jesus brings to us in this world is substantial healing. This is the premise of Schaefer's, part of Schaefer's book, right? It's not perfect healing. Perfect healing, complete healing, whole healing, that happens at the end of time when Jesus comes back, right? That's what we see in the book of Revelation. There's no pain, no tear, no suffering, no dying, nothing. It's all gone. Uh, But it's also not easy for us to say that there's no healing, that we just resign ourselves to the fact that, you know, things are the way that they are and God doesn't work in the world anymore. Uh, What Schaefer does is he tries to push us. He said, no, the healing that Jesus brings, it's not perfect yet. It will be perfect at the end of time. But now in the moment that we're in, it's substantial. It's real. It's it's actually transformative in its own way. Uh, And so that's the kind of healing that Jesus is using you and me in the world to bring about the substantial healing. This is in part the, the, the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel from one side of the diamond is your sins are forgiven. But from another side of the, of the diamond, the message of the gospel is your brokenness is, is being healed. Substantial healing now, perfect healing in the world to come. I don't know what brokenness looks like in your life, right? I don't know how the effects of sin are affecting you relationally, vocationally, financially, physically, uh, spiritually, and the list goes on. But what I do know is that the hope of the gospel is that in whatever areas of life you are experiencing things not the way that they're supposed to be, in whatever area of life that we are experiencing the brokenness of this world, that in those areas, Jesus can bring substantial healing. That's that's the hope that we have. And so whether you are here this morning and like this Christianity thing is new, or you are here this morning and you have been a part of the church for as long as you can remember, uh, and, and, and a Christian for as long as you can remember, the, 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 uh, the message is the same. We bring our brokenness to Jesus because we are this lame person in the story. We are the one who's broken. We are the one who needed healing. We are the one that needed somebody to say in the name of Jesus to us and to our hearts. Okay? So, first point, we have the problem. The problem is a helpless man and we see that his helplessness is complete, right? We're seeing this picture of total helplessness, uh, vocationally, financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Secondly, and and he is a picture of us. Uh, Secondly, we see the turning point in the story, and the turning point of the story is in the name of Jesus, get up, okay? That's actually like, if you look at how the story is structured, That is the turning point of the story. That's where things begin to shift and turn in a new direction. The resolution then is that this guy stands up and starts going into the temple. So you can imagine, can't you, um, that moment 
Peter says to him, all right, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he reaches down his hand and he begins to pull him up. Can put yourself in the mind of that man. We are told, you remember, you remember like seeing a baby learn to walk, right? Like they take that, you know, like first, like their legs are super wobbly and they have to hold on to something and then they fall on their bums and it's super cute, right? Uh, and then, and then like a little while later, they like take that first step, right? And then again, then they fall on their bum. Uh, and then, you, you know, you're the mom, you're the dad, like, all right, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. And they take, you know, they take those little crazy steps. Um, uh, we have a video, I think it's of Asher, who, when, like, he first, like, it clicked. Uh, and he, like, did this big loop around. It's super fun to watch. Uh, so I want you to remember, right, this man never had that experience. This man never knew what it was like to stand on his legs. This man never had the experience of taking one step. And Peter reaches down, pulls him up, and we are told three times that he was walking. We are told twice that he is jumping. That is a picture for us of complete healing. Because here, that's what miracles do. You see, miracles are signs for us of heaven coming down. Miracles are signs that show us this is what it will be like. Now, this man is, uh, he's, he's going to get sick, right? We don't know his story, but he's going to get sick. Uh, he died. So his healing was not perfect healing. It was still substantial healing, but he's a picture for us of the kind of healing that Jesus brings into our world. And so start seeing the big picture. Take a step back, okay? Let's take a step back and let's see what the book of Acts is doing for us. What the book of Acts is doing for us, it's saying that that the message of the gospel, that this, this group of people that Jesus was calling to himself that the message of the gospel is shared with our words through spiritual conversations. We saw that two weeks ago. That, that the message of the gospel is demonstrated by the way that we live our lives. We saw that last week, this community that's being formed. And today we're seeing that the message of the gospel is being lived out in the way that this community that God has formed is addressing the brokenness of the world. In uh, James chapter 2, James writes this. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but doesn't do anything about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. The the faith that we have in Christ is a faith that expresses itself in action. Let me say that differently, okay? The healing that we experience through faith in Jesus Christ is a healing that then goes out to help others experience that healing. Uh, and, and so God is, Jesus is sending us out into a world that is broken, uh, I said a second ago that we are the lame man, and we are, right? 
we're also supposed to see Peter as a model for us. To not turn a blind eye to the brokenness, but to actually look it in the eyes. But of course, when we do that, do you know what happens? It's overwhelming. I, walking around East Village, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And so it reminds us of uh, the need that we have, right? And so how is it that we begin to address the brokenness of the world? Well, um, as a church, and this predates me, right? Um, uh, as a church, we've decided that we're going to enter into partnerships with certain ministries and organizations. Uh, and that that's the way that as a church, we're going to try to address some of the needs of San Diego. We can't possibly address them all, but, but we can prayerfully discern and say, these are the ways that we think God is calling us as a community to specifically address certain areas of brokenness in our world. But at the same time, God has called many of you individually to address other areas of brokenness in our world, right? Amen to both. Because at the end of the day, what's happening is we are, whether it's an individual call that God has placed on your life or what, what um, we as a church are saying, hey, we're, as we're praying, we think these are the areas that God is calling us to. What's happening is we are, as those who have experienced healing, we are going out into the world in order to uh, bring healing to others. But even as I like press on that, remember, we always have to look back and see our own brokenness. We always have to come back and remember that we are that man who was not able to walk. We are that person who needs uh, the, the gospel applied into our own lives and in our own hearts. Uh, and that what, what happens is that then we are not just walking into the temple. The picture here is that, you know, is that uh, the man is gonna, he ends up walking into the temple and people are looking at him and they're, they're amazed, right? But as, as we begin to understand how the Bible works itself out, that the picture is actually a lot cooler than simply a man walking into the temple. Uh, the picture is actually temples that are walking, right? Remember we said a few weeks ago that when Holy Spirit comes on us through faith in Christ, that you and I become these living stones. Peter talks about that. You as living stones are being built together. We become living stones of a holy temple, and these stones are being sent out in the world. And part of what these stones are doing, right, is they're pointing people to Jesus and saying, hey, there's healing here. How do I know there's healing here? Because I've experienced this healing. Uh, and so, and so um, part of this call for us, right, is to recognize the, the, the different ways that we are called to embody the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, let me, uh, I'm going to stop there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through the good news of what you are doing, what you have done and are doing through Jesus, that you uh, bring healing uh, to the brokenness that we experience. Lord, um, I first of all, just on behalf of everybody that's here, I pray and ask uh, that, that you would make that healing um, more visible to us this week. Uh, 
you know intimately what every heart and soul here uh, is thinking and going through. You know the ways in which sin is affecting our lives. Uh, You know our brokenness and our feelings of helplessness. Uh, And so, Lord, would would you step in to those and would you allow us to experience substantial healing even as we long for the complete and total healing that will come uh, when Jesus returns. Uh, And then secondly, Lord, we pray and ask that you would help us as those who have experienced the substantial healing of the gospel uh, to help us to put our eyes towards the brokenness that's around us. It's overwhelming. Uh, It is exhausting. It, um, It makes us cry out. Uh, Even, Lord, as we walk out from church this morning, we are reminded uh, of of just how evil sin is and how broken our world is. Uh, It is really tempting, you know, Lord, for us to turn our eyes away. Uh, Help us not to turn our eyes away. Help us to look. uh, And as we look at the brokenness of our world, that we would call out to you. Lord, we, um, we could really easily turn that into a moral do-goodism. And that's not what we want. Uh, so even in that, Lord, help us to recognize that it is not our ability and it is not our authority that brings healing. Uh, it's the name of Jesus. But you have ordained to use us as your people uh, to address the brokenness of our world. Uh, We cannot and we dare not do it alone. And so, Lord, we ask that you would please help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.